0: If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, we'll be there here in just a bit. Um, if I'm a little groggy, a little tired, I was at Falls Creek with the kids last week and I have no excuses. I literally did nothing. Surprise, surprise to some of you, right? Uh, if you see some sponsors around you with Falls Creek Shirts falling asleep, show them the grace of God because they're exhausted. If you see parents here who sent their kids off week, they should be fully rested. There's no excuse for you falling asleep in service today. Now, it was an amazing week, and I won't steal uh, Josiah's son, he'll come share later about it, but it was an amazing week of what God was doing. And on top of that as well, uh, that week, Wednesday through Friday, uh, the elders planned an elders retreat at False Creek. And so while the kids were in Tabernacle morning and evening, we met and uh, did some uh, planning that we have not done last time we did that was 2019 and that's when the lord led us to the vision statement so very fruitful trip very great time look forward to sharing that someday down the road with you Uh, but just uh man thank you for all the prayers and all that was going on so uh luke chapter 10 is where we'll be today Um, unpacking a passage that many of you, I'm sure, will be familiar with, but I'm hoping to get you to look from a different perspective and new lens, if you will. Uh, To kind of tee up where we're going today, let me just ask this. Just a show of hands. How how many of you have ever been on a mission trip before of any kind? Would you just kind of show? Okay, a lot of us. A lot of us? Yeah, you can put your hands down now. Uh, Yeah, I've been on several as a student, as an adult and stuff. When I was in student ministry, when I was a student in the student ministry, uh, my senior year, We went on a mission trip to uh, Romania with Feed the Children and did a medical mission trip where we helped and did a vacation Bible school for kids. Just an amazing experience to kind of get to see uh, just a third world, see what's going on, and just really even being exposed to poverty that I'd never even seen in my life and understand. As as an adult, my father in law got plugged in with a a mission uh, group through Juarez. We'd go to Juarez and build a house for a family in, in three days. And I say house, it was a it was a nice shed is what it was, but for their uh, home and stuff like that, it was just a great experience and a great opportunity to serve. Now, out of curiosity, uh, how many of you would uh, like, maybe you haven't been, or maybe you have been, like, man, I'd love to go again on a mission trip. I, that, that's something in my heart, my passion, you feel called, led to, whatever. Yeah, a lot of us are. I see you. Excited right there. Uh, hopefully, at some point, all of us are. Uh, and, and it's interesting for us wanting to go on mission trips, but there's a difference between going on a mission trip and being a missionary. Like mission trips are great, and I love that, but what the problem I have with mission trips, and if you don't know what mission trips, I mean when we go somewhere else to help spread the gospel, to help pave ways to spread the gospel, the problem with mission trips for a lot of times in churches is they have a start date and end date. You go, you go somewhere you've never been, you be on fire for the Lord, you share like you've never had, telling people about Jesus, then you go back to your life and just go back to the way things were, and you've accomplished, checked off that list, and everything's back to normal. Missionaries are different. They literally give up their life to go and do this sort of thing. As a matter of fact, I shared a few weeks back, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans, uh, their meeting, and, and that's a cooperative program that we cooperate with through our giving and stuff to help send missionaries all over the world, literally thousands of missionaries. And I think uh, we have a photo, they, they, not, they uh, sent out 79 new missionaries uh, uh, out to be on, on the field. And so when I'm at the saying, they have all these thanks to so the uh, International Mission Board. These people come up and one by one asking for prayer, talking about where they're going. And, and we're praying and celebrating them being sent off. You can see pictures right here of just some of, the, some of the 79 people. Now, what's crazy about these people is what they do. You need to understand missionaries. These are people not from the countries, the areas they're going to. But, but their goal is they go, they establish themselves, they establish relationships, they learn the culture, they learn the customs, learn the language so that they can grab and get a pedestal to share the gospel. Do you understand that? So, so for example, someone from Oklahoma here might say, you know what, i want to go to Nicaragua, and I'm going to go there, I'm going to learn the language, I'm going to learn the culture, I'm going to learn and earn trust, I'm going to earn a living, doing all sorts of stuff to get to a place where I can tell them about Jesus. Here, here's the crazy thing I want you to think about. What they seek to establish is what every single one of us has already in our own circles in our own world. Many of us are like, man, I wish I could go around the world and go do this, but they're going to seek to establish with neighbors, with coworkers, with other people, what you already have on a daily basis, day in, day out. You all have neighbors of some sort. You all have coworkers. You all have people in your life that often we look right past that and we don't look at ourselves as missionaries. Do you know that the only top two places where Christianity is declining in the world today is the United States and Europe? There are people actually sending missionaries now to the United States because we are failing at our job. The reality is this, listen, if you have a hunger, a desire to be a missionary, your calling is not to a thorough world country. Your initial calling is right now in your home, in your neighborhood, around the people you know. And the question is, are you taking that seriously? As a matter of fact, a new vision focus, we just got done focusing on um, reaching our community. We're focusing on multiplying the church. Part of multiplying the church is leading new people to Christ. Having those gospel-centered conversations. And so in that, we're starting a new series. You just saw the video, the thing it's called "On Mission." And, and my goal is to challenge you as a church of, listen, I want you all to go on a mission trip, but I want you to do it from home. I want you to do it from work. I want you to do it with the people that you've already established relationships with. And the question is, what will you do? What would happen if we really truly began to look through the lens of, you know what? God has strategically placed me here right now for a purpose. What would happen if I started being intentional in those things? And started looking at people saying, what would happen if I started telling them about Jesus? And so that's what we're going to do. As a matter of fact, the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four things that I'm going to be challenging you with. It's see, serve, share, and Save. And these things, if you will take these seriously, I promise you, God will use those to make inroads in your life. And so today, we're going to look at C. How, how can we see your neighbor? Now, as we tee up that one, our, our beginning thing, let me ask this Have you ever struggled to find something that was right in front of you the whole time? You ever lost something that you're looking for? Like for me, just the other day, I kid you not, I'm running around my house frantically looking for my sunglasses. And I'm like, listen, I know I just had them. I'm looking over the house. I'm getting fired up. Praise the Lord, my family was in the house because they had ridiculed me because the whole time they're on top of my head. And I'm looking up and down. And finally, I just, in frustration, do like this. And my glasses fall down and hit my face. And I'm like, oh, that is super embarrassing. Now, thank the Lord, like I said, none of my family was there because they would ridiculed me. Because on another time, my wife had this, and I don't show grace. And so in my house, my wife is looking for a phone, and she is notorious for losing her phone. And she goes, I can't find my phone, and we're all searching the house, looking for it. And I said, Man, where is this phone? And we're looking for it. And I said, I'm going to call it. And I call it, and all of a sudden, from her backside, I hear some ringing going on. It's in her back the whole time. Now, listen, a wise person would say, hey, it's all good. It happens to the best of us. And I go, you didn't check your back pocket? Are you kidding me? Like this whole time working in the house, you didn't think, hmm, maybe it's in one of my pockets. I don't have the gift of grace. If you want that, we're going to talk about Jesus more in a bit. And he has it and he gives it. Here's the thing. We've all had a time in our life, I'm sure, of something in our life that we were looking for something. In reality, it was right in front of us the whole time. My connection is this. Is I want to help you to see who needs saving. That's probably been right in front of you the entire time. I don't even want to begin to tell you how many conversations I've had with people when I talk about reaching the lost, and the response is this. I don't know any lost people. I don't think there's any in my life. And I think from looking at this text today, I'm going to show you something, that I think they are, you're just not seeing them. And so how do we build a heart, an attitude, a lifestyle where we begin to see people and see those people and say, man, they need Jesus, and I have the truth, and will I share it with them? So if you have your Bibles, uh, open with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read two, uh, t- verse 25 through 37. And this text is about halfway into Jesus' ministry. He's going around uh, beginning to proclaim who he is. He's doing miracles. He's sending out people. A matter of fact, just a few verses before, he sends out 72 people uh, to go and begin doing his work. In verse 25, you have this interesting situation that happened routinely with Jesus. You see, the more Jesus began to share who he was and began to establish authority as this amazing rabbi, this teacher, other people of the Jewish faith who were very well-known in these Pharisees and stuff would come and begin to question him to challenge his expertise because he spoke with an authority that none of them had ever experienced before. And it says this in verse 25. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him, and how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he saw him and passed by the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, some of you have never grown up in church, and this is the first time you've ever heard the story. If you have grown up in the church, I can promise you, you've heard this multiple times, taught in multiple different ways. And if you're like me, there's a tendency to read stories you're familiar with and gloss over because you're familiar with them. And the reality, is there's some deep truths to what's going on. So first, I want you to see what's going on here. As self-righteous man comes to Jesus in verse 25, matter of fact, it says an expert in the law. This would have been most likely a Pharisee interpreter. This is not like a legal lawyer. This is like an expert of the Bible, if you will, of the Old Testament, who knew it inside and out. And he comes and he challenges Jesus. Now what's interesting is he actually shows respect to Jesus. it says he stood up and called him rabbi. Those are both signs of respect in this time. And he's shown respect to Jesus. But we have insight into his heart by other details in the text. He comes to him and he says, he wants to test him. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice his language. There's a group around him say, hey, what do we need to do to inherit eternal life? He's self-focused, like, hey, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And the reality we see, he's he's really not asking a question. He's trying to make himself look good. Because Jesus, I love, turns and asks him a question. In a Jewish custom and culture, a, a, a mark of wisdom, what was a mark that you were mature and knew so much, is not that you would answer questions. You would return questions with other questions to make them answer their own questions. That's how you showed your knowledge of what's going on. And Jesus routinely did this. And so when he asked, he says, well, let me put it back in your court. You're an expert of the law. You know the inside and outs, Right? What do you think it is? You tell me. And so the ant man, in his own pride, I can't help but responds back. I feel like any other person says, I don't know, this is why I've asked you. You're the rabbi, not me, not me. If I was with Josiah in my office, this is what he does all the time. You're the pastor, not me, not me. You, you answer. But instead, he says, and he begins to tell him. And he answers from two texts. He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all with your mind. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. As a New Testament Christian, John 3.16 is one we're very familiar with, right? For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In Jewish custom, Deuteronomy 6.5 was there, John 6, 3.16, one they were very familiar with. Everyone knew it. He's like, it's the basics of the faith. The other part, he says, and love your neighbor yourself, comes from Leviticus 19.18. And so he feels very good. And Jesus tells him, as says, you've answered correctly. He says, go and do it. Y- you know Don't make this complicated. Just go do what it says. You know the inside out. But he says, but the man, what? Wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Can we just say this real quick? What a dumb question, right? I I mean, really, I'm sorry if there's kids, if I apologize. What, what What a not very intelligent question to ask, right? I mean, what are you thinking right now? This is like on the same par that I've had sometimes with my kids, they're great kids, but sometimes when I come and say, hey, you need to go clean your room, and they will respond with this, well, how many toys? And I said, whatever it takes for me to see the entire floor of your room, what kind of, that's, a, that's, a, that's an unintelligent question. All of it. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's like my wife, sometimes she's like, hey, when I come back, I'd like to see the house clean, and I go, what do you mean by clean? Like picked up? or scrubbed down, <laughs> like, what are you talking about here? Ultimately, his, his response is ultimately, asking this. it's the same thing we sometimes ask. Is what he's really asking is, what's the minimum I have to do and to get by? And, and many of us walk through our entire faith and walk with God that same. It's like, what's the minimum, what's, what's the bare minimum I can do and make God happy? What would happen if I brought that in my marriage? Hey, Emily, what, what, what's the minimum I have to do and be a good husband? What's the minimum I have to do to make you love me? You see, true love doesn't look for minimums. It looks for maximums. Where, where can I not stop? <laughs> where can I do more? And even more so, we see the man's heart. He, he wants to justify himself. He, he's expecting Jesus to ask a question. he go, I've done all that. As a matter of fact, in another story, there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he asks a similar question. And Jesus says, responds to him and he goes, I've done all that. He feels very good about himself. And Jesus replies because he knows that he's wealthy and he loves his wealth. And what does he say? Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says the man walked away with his head down. Why? Because he didn't want to do that. So guy's doing the same thing. He's trying to tee himself up. And Jesus in his wisdom I love, he, he comes and he instead tells a story. It's not like one of those preachers who comes and tell you, like, you are an awful person, and at this point he's like, let me just tell you a story, and you, you tell me what's going on here. Because a man's question ultimately implies there's such thing as a non-neighbor. When, when I say, hey, it's time for you to see your neighbor, how many of you honestly already started looking at the people immediately that live right next door to you? Or do you go, man, I don't, I don't know anybody. Some of us don't even know our neighbor. We don't even acknowledge them. I've been guilty of that. Uh, and, and he's trying to open up his eyes. And so he begins to tell his parable in verse 30 through 37. And he says, let me, let me tell you a story. I, I love, ver- my version says this, Jesus took up the question. Jesus is like, you want to go with the challenge? All right, I got a story time. Sit down, let's listen, let's talk. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's a lot here that if you're not culturally aware, you miss what's going on. First and foremost, Jesus, that word literally going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that is both uh, literally and figuratively. As a matter of fact, I think they have a picture of a graphic showing. From Jericho, the road from Jer- uh, Jericho down to Jerusalem, you get to pass through Samaria, uh, was a 3,600-foot decline, descent down over 17 miles Jerusalem literally was 2,300 miles above sea level And Jericho is literally 1,300 feet below sea level It is literally a decline going into them And not only f- literally is that going on But figuratively they look down on the people of Samaria that we'll see later This character that comes up It was a dangerous track that when people went They would often get mugged and often get taken by robbers Because they were caves to hide in and so when he's telling the story about them travel, these people understand, they're visualizing, I know that road, I know how dangerous it is, I know exactly what you're talking about. If you were just a couple weeks ago, when I was driving from uh, down off Memorial coming up Rockwell, and the roads were flooded out on Rockwell all over, and I'm having to take detours, I'm driving through these flooded out roads, my wife's freaking out, I am like, feel like, man, I'm a man, this is awesome, going through all sorts of stuff. I start talking about these roads flooded. You visualize, you understand what I'm talking about. In Jesus' story, they can see exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, listen, there's a situation. This man was there, and what happens? He gets mugged, he gets beat up, and he's left half dead. Half dead. If any of you are Princess Brides fans, you know what's going on here. <laughs> right? He's, not most, he's, he's just mostly dead. He's not fully dead As he said in the movie, and Princess Bride and Miracle Max, who is Billy Crystal, says this, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. You see, mostly dead is still slightly alive. There's still a chance for hope. Something can happen here. In other words, we don't know if this guy is really dead or not, and your average passerby is seeing him, and without taking pulse, for all you know, this guy is dead. These details are important to the story Jesus is telling Because as he tells us, we find out the first person that comes walking by is who? It's a priest. A priest that says, happens to be going down. He's happening to make his travel passing by. And as he's passing by, he sees this half-dead man. And what does he do? You would think, man, if a preacher walks by and saw this, he's going to stop. This is the guy you want to be there. Man, the Lord blessed the situation. And he sees him. He's like, nah, I'm good. And walks around. Now, what is going on here? Why is this happening? The reality is back in this culture and time, and the Bible even tells us that as part of being holy and set apart from God, priests were not allowed to touch dead things. That's a result of sin of the fall. And by touching a dead body, even if presumably dead, would make you ceremonially unclean. It's like if I were on the way to church here, and I saw someone on the side of the road that I thought they might be dead, they might not, and I go, and I begin to tell them and resuscitate them. For me, it would be like, well, I can't come to church now. He's probably going, I have other responsibilities. Someone else will do this. Even Pharisees believe that if you walked by someone's shadow that was dead, you were considered ceremonially unclean to go to church and be there. And so was the priest? He walks right on by. The next person that comes up is a Levite. A Levite is, is more or less like an assistant to the preacher, to the priest, if you will. If you're an office fan, it's assistant to the priest, if you will. But he walks by. Imagine it this way. If you have an elder pastor and a deacon that walk by, the two people think, man, surely one of these guys is going to stop. One of these guys is going to care about it. And what does it say? He does the same thing and walks right past, probably for the same reasons. Listen, both of these guys can make a justifiable reason about why passing by this guy is biblical. They're being obedient to Scripture. That there's something off in their interpretation, but they could point and prove their text, prove what's going on. But then he tells us about a third guy, which is uh, the person you would not expect. Who, who comes in the picture? It, it's a Samaritan. A Samaritan were despised by the Jewish people. To give you background and context, in 722 B.C., Samaria fell to the Assyrian Empire. And when Assyrians conquered them, they began to take out their leaders in Jewish faiths and send them in exile, and they began to assimilate their Assyrian people to intermarry to more or less wipe away their faith and customs. And with time, you have these blend of Assyrian and Jewish people, which makes what is Sumerian people, which is frowned upon by the Jewish people. They look at them as half-breeds, not good enough. And when the Jewish people came back from exile, you see in Ezra, and begin to rebuild the temple, the Sumerian people said, hey, let us help you. And like, we don't want your help. You're not welcome here. And so the Samaritans get upset and build their own temple and build their own synagogue. And they begin to worship. That's why when Jesus comes to the well of the Samaritan woman, she begins to argue with them which mountain is the one that God really should be worshipped on because of this history of what's going on. It's a despised person. And what does Jesus do? Jesus makes him the hero of the story. If you don't understand how detestable it is, go, look at your Bibles. Go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. Just right before what's going on. Jesus is on his way and it says this, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of himself on the way and they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. There was so much yelling, you go to Jerusalem, you're not welcome in here. Now listen to what the disciples did, I love the disciples because I can see myself in their shoes sometimes. This is when the disciples James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Can we just kill them all? This happens right before this story. Imagine I tell you a story as an Oklahoma City Thunder fan and said, you know what, Kevin Durant came back, won the title, and he's the hero. Some of you just threw up in your mouth thinking about that right there. Are you kidding me? That's the villain. There's no way this guy can be the hero. But yet Jesus shows this man understands something that they don't. Don't, don't miss the pretense to all that's going on here. This man is trying to justify himself. And Jesus is trying to get him to see through his worst enemy who's really living this out. It's trying to strip away all prejudice and just try to take the story at face value. And in other words, this man, by his question he asked earlier when he says, I've done all this stuff, who's my neighbor? Listen, he's assuming he has seen his neighbor. And Jesus is helping him realize that he's really looked right past him. See, the big idea is this. For us to see, we need to begin to see my neighbor's need for Jesus. And you say, how do you do that? And here's the short and sweet version. Look at the Samaritan, what does he do? It says, but a Samaritan came up to him, and what he said, when he saw the man. First and foremost, if you have Bibles and you like to underline I encourage you to underline that text right there, right where it says there, in verse uh, t- 33, he saw the man. For many of us, the problem isn't that we can't find people's needs, it's that we're, not look- we're looking right past them. We're not looking at what's right in front of us. I told you a few weeks back, I, I went on a trip to New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm there all week. It was exhausting week. I'm tired. And for whatever reason, I, I somehow foolishly booked a flight. I was done Wednesday night, and I booked a flight for Thursday night. And so I was stuck in New Orleans all day going, what in the world am I doing? Why, this, is, this, is not, this is not smart right here. And so I get stuck in this airline, and I have an interchange flight Austin, in Austin, Texas. A- and when I'm getting on my flight, I notice a guy I know getting on my flight. It's a guy named John Johnson, who's the pastor at Exchange Avenue Baptist Church. And he was there too with his wife and his two little kids. I can't remember; it's like two and three years old. They're they're little little kids. And I'm like, man, why are you on the late flight? And he tells me, he says, man, uh, we were supposed to be on the earlier flight. Our flight got messed up, and so now I'm on these later flights. And so now, rather than him getting home at noon, he with him and his littles are getting home at midnight. And so we go on the first flight, and I see them walking around the whole time and stuff like that, and I don't pay much attention. And we're in Austin. I'm sitting back, my legs up on my, my suitcase, shoes off, headphones in, watching TV, just chilling. And I see him and his wife walking around. His wife has a car seat strapped to her back like a pack mule. He's got other stuff, and they're pushing kids around for, for hours, I mean, just walking. And I thought they were just having fun. And finally at one point when I see just the look of exhaustion on his face, I said, what are you doing? He goes, man, if we stop walking, they're going to melt. And I go dude, why don't you set your stuff down here with me? Like, I'll watch your stuff. You don't have to carry it like that. He goes, really? I said, yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, they've been doing this for 10 hours, and I've just been watching them going, man, that sucks. <laughs> well, I didn't bring my kids. <laughs> here, here's the problem. Listen, the problem was this. It wasn't that there wasn't a problem. It's that I wasn't actively looking at the problem. Like, your application to this is, like, we need to move from reserves to active duty in our thought process and actions. You know what that means in military terms is this. An active duty person is a person who is active duty at all times. But reserves is this, a person that is not full-time active duty military personnel. And although they can be deployed at any time, they only go as needed. And the reality is many of us look at ourselves as reserves, saying, God, when you call me up, I'll go. And God's like, I've called you up. You're You're already enlisted. You're already going, why aren't you doing something? And the difference is the mindset. When you look at yourself as reserves, you will never look at needs around you as needs. But when you see yourself as active duty, you'll constantly look at people and say, man, God, where can you use me any step of the way? Like if your response is simply, I don't think about it, you are a reserve in your mindset. When you're active duty, you can't stop thinking about it. That's why if you get around my wife and myself, I'm telling you right now, if my wife in that situation, she'd have been pushing those kids. She would have be Why? Because she's always in mom mode. Every time she's around kids, she's a children's minister here. Every time she's around kids, she's picking up kids and doing stuff. I don't think about it. It's not my kid, not my problem. Sucks to be you. You know, that's my attitude a lot of times. But she's constantly. Why? Because she's in mom. She's always in that frame of mind. He, he saw him. Do, do you see the people around you? The second thing he had is not just that he see him, but he had compassion. He had compassion. Don't miss that detail. Do you realize both the priests and the Levites saw him too, and they walked right past him. They saw enough that said, man, that stinks, but went on with their life. But one person stopped and had compassion on the situation. He looked and said, man, there's something. He saw and he felt the needs of the man. And he said, if I don't do something, this man's going to die. Like only Samaritan saw him. The truth is this, listen, many of us see we're just not all compassionate, are we? We're not compassionate enough to be moved to do something about it. Ultimately, we need to move from a stance of being sympathetic to empathetic. You say, what's the difference? Sympathy is a feeling of compassion or sorrow or pity for the hardships that uh other person encounters. But empathy is different than this. It, you, empathy is where you put yourself in the shoes of another. And I think to illustrate, there's a video from a TED Talk that I think does a beautiful illustration of the difference between sympathy and empathy. Would you play that video? Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, i climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. I love that statement. To connect with you, I have to connect something in me that knows that feeling. Listen, here's the reality. If you are saved, you should know that feeling of what it looks like to say, you know what, I was once lost, but now I'm found. If it hadn't been for someone in my life come and telling me about that, that would have been me. But there are many of us don't do that. We don't. Like if it was me, what would I hope they would have done? Or, or maybe here's a better question. When it was me, what was I grateful they did do? The truth is this, someone in your life has shown you more love than you're willing to show other people. The question is, will you tell someone? I just got an email the other day from the lady that led me to Christ back when I was nine years old, telling me, man, she says, I knew God had something, but I never imagined what God would be doing in your life. And she had the grace and willingness to come and take one day in children's ministry to say, Eric, do you know, and, and share the gospel with me, which I'd heard numerous times, but for whatever reason, the Lord was stirring that day. And had she not done it, who knows what my life, my family, uh, uh, all, all stuff moving forward would have been different. And the reality is, why, why won't we do the same for others? He saw him. He had compassion. The last thing I want you to see is this. I love this. He went over to him. I, I encourage you to underline that. He took the initiative and he pursued the man. In, in time, being a pastor and being around people who are hurting and mourning, I've, I've learned there are two types of people when tragedy hits. And you will understand this, and some of you will test this. There are two type of people. Person one is, is when someone gets hit with a tragedy, they'll look at you and say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Just tell me what you, when you need something, let me know, okay? I'm here for you, whatever you need. And they go on with their life. There's a second person that just does it. That just does it. I was talking to someone the other day that's been going through some morning, and they said, you know what, I never realized the value of that. And if you're sitting around saying, man, I should do something, just do it. Because they'll never ask. They'll never ask. But we all sit in reserve saying, man, if they'd call me up, we'll do it. And the reality is all of us are just one request away from being in someone's help, someone's age. But the reality is this. Those people will never ask. You just got to take the initiative. Go to them. And in other words, you need to do this. You need to move from being reactive to proactive. You need to quit waiting for people to come and ask you about Jesus and go and start telling them about Jesus. You need to initiate the conversation. I fall too much in the reactive camp that it's almost sickening. When we moved in our new neighborhood just a little over a year and a half ago, I remember said, Emily and I said, we want to make impacts in our neighborhood. We want to get to know our neighbors. And lo and behold, it was our house and one other house on the block that had moved in. And I'm like, I've got to go talk to them. I was nervous to go and introduce because I'm an introvert at heart. and It just freaks me out. And the one day I go out and I'm getting stuff and I see my neighbor coming out and I'm in that moment where I have, like, groceries in my hand, and I'm thinking, do I go talk to him, or do I literally sprint inside as though I didn't see him so I can avoid a conversation I haven't wanted to do? And by the grace of God, he came and initiated the conversation with me and began to talk to me and find out he's a worship minister at another church. I'm thinking, man, I wish I would initiated the conversation. I've taken a different approach with guys I play basketball with and started saying, man, I want to tell you about God. I want to tell you about Jesus. The point just a few weeks ago, they came to to a creek fest. Trying for six years and finally got them to come and took the initiative. They would have never came had I not asked. Listen, the reality is you, you need to be proactive in your calling and response to people. You, you need to go to people. For you to go on mission, you need to see neighbors your neighbors need for Jesus. And so I just want to ask right now, like for you, who do you see in your life? If I were to say, listen, you're a missionary right now, who are you going to reach? Do you draw a blank of who it is? I, I don't know. You're not looking. You're not looking. Christianity is on the decline in the United States. That they are all around. Why? Why aren't we doing something? And, and what sickens me is I don't want to go do foreign missions where we will go and put on the Christian face and the Jesus face, and then come back home and live our own lives as though it never happened. The reality is Jesus called us to be a witness, starting at home and moving outwards. And we, some reason, want to do it backwards. I'll, I'll go to the ends of earth and tell people about Christ, but I'm not going to do it in my backyard. And it's got to start with us. So here, here's my challenge with this thing for this week. I want to leave you something practical. Here, here it is. See who God has placed in your life this week. Begin to look. Who has God strategically placed in your life? Right now, the person that's laid on your heart, who is that stirring? Second thing is this pray for conviction and opportunities to go. Literally, God, when I see that person, make me open my mouth. You'll be amazed at how much God can stir when you pray that prayer. Give me an opportunity. And lastly is this, make at least one intentional, intentional contact this week. If you're like me and you have a neighbor you've never initiated a conversation with or a coworker that you've never done that, this week, go and introduce yourself. Go and tell them about yourself. Go and make that contact. But you have to see them. Otherwise, you're no better than the priest or Levite going, somebody else will get that. And you walk on your way. And the reality, I'll tell you this right now, for someone who has family that's not saved, that's, that's someone's brother. That's someone's sister, that's someone's child, that's someone that you have the potential to lead to Christ. And there's people in my life that I love, that I've come to realize that I may never get to be the person that leads them to Christ, but I never want to be the reason that they won't. And I pray that God will put people in their life and do that. Because we need more people to go and share with them. What will you do? And so I challenge you, go, go on mission. What's stopping you? We have missions coming up, but don't wait for those trips to go do something. God's called you right now to act of service. If you are a Christian, you're saved, you're enlisted. Go do it. And there's some of you in the sound of my voice that are in a different audience and different camp. Everything I've just said does not sound applicable to you. It makes no sense to you. You know why that is? Because from you, it's most likely this you've never come to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And can I tell you, everything I've just talked about is about you. It's about you coming to know the truth of what God did for you and how much he loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that if you would just come and just believe and say, God, I can't do it anymore, I need you, listen, you will be saved. Because every other person's room has been you once, has been the person lying in the ditch, and had someone else come and pull them out. And listen, we want to be that for you. And the question is, will you respond today? We're, we're going to close and we're going to pray and we're going to have people around for you to respond. Everyone in the room, I believe, should have some response in this either a calling to go on mission or calling to come to the Lord. The question is will you respond? So I'm going to ask if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes just the time to let the Lord speak to you, whatever that is. Whether you'd be willing just to see those in your life God has placed you, whether you'd begin to see yourself as a missionary. your head bowed and eyes closed, I challenge you to pray this prayer. God, reveal to me one person today. And then ask God to hold you accountable to talk to that person. Father God, I love you. God, you've called us not just to reach Africa, Romania, Juarez. You, you've called us to reach Deer Creek. You've called us to reach the people in our life. And too many of us got in this room, I feel like have the conviction that if I'm just nice enough to them, maybe they'll know and we never open our mouth. And while serving and kindness is needed, they'll never understand that you died on the cross for the sins by just getting a warm cup of coffee comes from us opening our mouth and telling them. And so God, stir in our heart a conviction to meet and talk to someone. We all know someone in our life. God, let us do something. God, for those that sound my voice who have never come to to accept you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray today they respond. This whole message is about them. This whole message is the hope that they realize that they're the person lying in the dish, and they need someone to help them, to offer them truth, to offer them life. And God, we, we have the truth and that's you. And I pray today, maybe they might respond, come talk to one of our leaders and ask, what must I do to receive the salvation you're talking about? God, let us be a church that acts. In Jesus, I'm gonna pray, amen. If God's stirring in your heart, listen, God convicts our heart, but God convicts us to action when we talk to others. And so there's leaders. You see some in the back, the guy laying your him. I mean, you look around, please do. These people would love nothing more than to encourage. Maybe you just need to come say, hey, I just need to say it out loud so I have at least one person that knows that I said I'm going to do this. And maybe you just need to do that and just pray for the encouragement to it. Or today, you, you were stirring your heart about this idea of salvation, what it means to be saved, and that sounds so foreign and confusing, and you just need clarity. You need answers. We're not going to make a sales pitch. We're not going to twist your arm and make you leave here until you buy the product. We're not going to do any of that sort of stuff. We just want to present to you the truth, and come talk to one of our elders who are going to be up here today. We'd love nothing more than that. But you respond. So I'm going to ask if you stand, and we're going to worship. And if God's stirring in you in any way, please go find one of these people and respond.